This is a Boardwalk Audio podcast. Jeff Bezos is my daddy, and the best way to support my daddy is by going to boardwalkaudio.com slash oncomedywriting, and click the supporter artist button, shop on Amazon like Nurlywood, and I get a little kickback. Please feed the daddy. This week's episode of On Comedy Writing is brought to you by Malia Obama. On Comedy Writing, On Comedy Writing. Thanks for downloading this episode of On Comedy Writing, the podcast with the business craft of writing comedy. I'm your host, Alan Johnson, and this is our 100th episode. Lock the gates! 100 episodes. Wow. Uh, thanks for listening this long. Uh, I really appreciate it. It's really nice. To, uh, it's been a nice little community that's popped up around the podcast, and uh, I really appreciate it. Uh, so our guest this week is Brian Weitzel. He started out in Channel 101 in L.A., then read for Rick and Morty, then created his own Adult Swim show, Hot Streets, which you haven't seen. If you haven't seen it, it's very funny. Uh, you can see it on the Adult Swim app. There's two seasons. It's a good, great show. Uh, and if you're into animation, this is a perfect episode for you. This is all Brian does, and he's really good at it. So here is Brian Weissel. Brian, thanks for coming on the show. My pleasure. Thank you. Uh, where are you from originally? I traveled a little bit as a kid, but I would say I spent the majority of my childhood in Florida and um, went to college, University of Florida, and uh, eventually, you know, Gainesville is a college town. Eventually, you kind of have to escape from it. So I just randomly moved to Long Beach with a friend without any kind of a uh, vision of what I was going to do, but I just wanted to kind of get out of Florida. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I've been here ever since. Yeah. Long Beach is a, is a pretty fun place to just like pick to move to. It, yeah, I didn't re- actually think, I didn't have a plan of like, all right, I'll move to California, then I'll get right, I'll become a writer on TV. That was not like a part of my plan at all. Uh, it just kind of worked out that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you, uh, what kind of stuff were you watching like growing up? Um, in terms of in terms of comedy, I was really obsessed with uh, the '60s show uh, called Get Smart. Oh yeah, and, and uh, I think a lot of my comedic sensibilities come from that. But what I was really interested in just growing up was anything that was just different to, or spoke to me. Any any kind of comedy. Like I remember when I was a kid, it's Gary Shandling show. Like well, this is what is this? This is like so different than everything else. Also being inspired by, um, uh, it's kind of crazy, like, Gary Shandling, like, he, it's Gary Shandling show, came up first, where he kind of did this meta show that now you see a lot of, like, just getting really meta about his comedy, and then he created uh, Larry Sanders, which was the comedy style from like five years ago, like the office, like kind of, it's weird right. how he, like he, he was just ahead of the curve in, in so many ways. Mm-hmm. So I think he's a, a really cool, inspiring uh, comedic figure for me. Um, it is crazy to create both of those shows. To yeah. Like, they're so, they're so different. Yeah. And then like, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, Larry Sanders, I, I've seen a little bit of it's Gary Sanders show, but Larry Sanders is like so good. 
I would recommend it's Gary Shandling. I mean, yeah. just the theme song alone is just right. hilarious. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, I mean, I haven't seen it in years, so I don't know if it like totally holds up. But mm-hmm. it's such a wild, inventive show, especially of its time, that this was on TV at all. You know, and what was it? The late eighties, yeah, early nineties. Uh, were you doing like any uh, sort of like comedy stuff growing up? No, not really. I was uh, kind of. I mean. I would make like tapes with my friends, but it wasn't anything extreme. I didn't really think my plan was never, you know, to get into TV. It just kind of worked out that way, luckily. And that was, that was for me. That was kind of like a goal that was not attainable. It didn't seem like a realistic uh, thing to me. So I was more focused in high school. I was like, all right, I want to be a writer. And uh, my main goal would be, okay, I'll write short stories or, or books and get a job teaching. And that was kind of what I saw for myself, not going into screenwriting or TV, uh, which is a cool, exciting thing that eventually happened. Mm-hmm. So uh, when did you move to Long Beach? Oh, my God. Um, boy, it was, let's see. Over 15 years ago, mm-hmm. yeah, and um, I was working in property management. I, I was unemployed for like six months when I first moved out mm-hmm. here, and I was like broke, and I maxed out my credit cards. Eventually got a job at my building as a leasing agent, to uh-huh. lease, and that's kind of what I was doing for a while, and then I got into property management. I did property management for about 10 years. Oh, wow. I, went, I moved to Orange County, and uh, I was doing that. And uh, at the same time, there was, uh, I was, I was, wanted to be a writer, but, you know, I couldn't get anybody to read what I was writing, first of all. I mean, you just have your friends read it, and, like, they don't, like, what, what kind of feedback are you going to get from that? Um, and I was applying for grad schools and not getting in, so I just felt like I was idle, and I, I just wanted to make things. And for me, the funnest way to make things is like just visually either to experience like to make something if you can make it and just give it to somebody to experience via like maybe it's like a song or a cartoon you could just show it to somebody and then get instant feedback Mm -hmm. and instant gratification versus this thing people have to spend you know a long time reading um it's it's a it's an easier gateway for people to see your things and what you can do Mm -hmm. uh so I, at one point, I was, uh, this is really weird, but, uh, so I'm, I'm trying to get into grad school, like year after year, the schools that I'm trying to get into, I'm getting declined, and nobody really, I wasn't really getting much positivity from anybody, like, I don't think anybody, maybe, <laughs> my par- my parents were really nice about it, but I don't think anybody, like, I don't know if anybody really saw that this was a path for me. So uh, I remember at one point I'm working in property management and uh, my roommate uh, and his friend come over with a cake and it has like a picture of a penis on it. And I think it even said on words like penis cake. It's like, do you want some penis cake? I'm like, hell yeah, I want some penis cake. So I ate like a gigantic piece of it and I didn't know it was like had like pot in it. Uh, and like for me like eating an edible is pretty extreme even Mm -hmm. if it's like a really small dosage 
So I got really, really like couch locked and Adult Swim came on and Aqua Teen Hunger Force came on and I was watching it and just, you know, just laughing and having a good time. And then at the end of the show, or maybe it was the beginning of the show, or the end of the show, but I remember like just seeing, this is long before, you know, YouTube or anything, but I saw that like it only had like, or at least they listed, I don't know if it's actually, but what I was high, I saw that it was animated by one or two people. I'm like, wait a yeah. minute, can like, I didn't realize that you could just get a program on your computer and just be able to make a cartoon. I thought it was all like hand drawn and you know, you send it to studios and then a thousand people make it. So when I figured, when I found out about that, instantly the next day I just maxed out my credit cards, which I had repaid after being in property management for a while. Um, and I uh, bought the equipment and I bought like kind of a shitty animation program at the time. And well, I be- what was it? Well, I mean, it's not shitty. It just wasn't good for me. Uh, it's called Digicel. I think they use it mainly for hand-drawn, like, overseas studios at the time. I don't know if it's still around, to be honest, but it's definitely not an industry standard, like, Flash or Toon Boom. Or I don't even know if Toon Boom was around at that point. But um, I uh, began teaching myself how to animate by tracing over cartoons. And I was just experimenting and having fun. And uh, at the concurrently, I had discovered the uh, film, the online film festival Channel One Hundred One, uh, which was created by Dan Harmon and who, uh, the co-creator of Rick and Morty and Community, and Rob Schraub, who uh, created this comic called Scud Disposable Assassin, and has done a lot of also Sarah Silverman program. Uh, so they they created this nonprofit kind of a comedy film festival where you get to make uh, everybody gets to submit anybody it's open to public you submit an under five minute miniature TV show and uh, typically it would be comedic and the the live audience would watch it and vote for it and whatever the audience liked the most then they get to make another episode of that and I became a fan of that this was probably back they started Channel 101 probably, I think, around 2003 to 2004. But I became a fan of it around 2005. And uh, there were a lot of people from the scene that had... When I eventually started uh, getting involved, a lot of like the bigger names had kind of moved on. But like The Lonely Island, uh, Tim and Eric, and um, Jesus, like a, a ton of really awesome comedic voices mm-hmm. coming out of it and becoming popular. Um, and I was a fan just of the, the some of the people that still haven't, you know, gotten the recognition that they, they deserve. Uh, so there's still, there's still like so much content that was coming out back in 2005, 2006. That was just super funny to me. And it was like, I wanted to get involved, so I began submitting my shorts to them. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> I mean, th- through that time, you mentioned like uh, you you were like um, kind of I mean dealing with some with failure and stuff. How, how would you like keep going? Well, that was for me. Like I would uh, go to work at uh, uh, during the day, and I was living in. I was kind of like I don't know if you've ever lived in a place where you just don't feel like. 
I think maybe a lot of people can relate to this, but you just don't feel like you really belong. So I didn't really feel like I, I didn't have much of a social life. So I would, uh, for my property management, I would just go home and work on the cartoons. And once a month I would drive up, cause I was living in Orange County. So once a month I would drive up to LA and uh, when my shorts would get in and then I was like a part of this community of like really talented, funny people. and people who submitted and didn't get into the show were welcome. Like it was a very welcoming community. Like they, if you were submitting something, you were embraced within this community. So if you're a new guy, like, Oh my God, there's somebody new submitting cartoons. Not that many people submit cartoons. So a lot of people like Justin Roiland, for example, uh, Savannah Najarian and uh, the creators of house of Cosby's, uh, and Justin Roiland of course went on to, co-create Rick and Morty with Dan Harmon but everybody was just so warm and welcoming and for the first time people were sh showing some value in what I was doing mm. uh, so it, it, that was kind of the motivation like I would go home I'm like all right I feel like I like these people and I like what they're doing and I, I'm a part of a community of creatives which is really exciting and cool and then you have people that what surprised me going into that community is like all right, so I made a couple of cartoons, and they would come in like eleventh place out of out of eleven. The eleven things mine would come in like last, and which is fine, and because uh, like it was kind of a the impetus to get better is just to, is just to fail in front of the public. So it's just like you just want to get better, uh, but like with a weird strange thing, like all right, I came in eleventh place, and then like people who were a part of this community were volunteering to help me and to. Like, I'm like, all right. So, one actually, one of our actors on a, on the show that I do, Hot Streets, and one of our writers, Mike McCafferty, is like, this guy's been, this guy's in Idiocracy, and he's in movies and TV, and he wants to do a voice for my show for free. Like, this is exciting. Like, professional, like actors want to be a part of this, and people want to contribute. Mm -hmm. It's like this is a really cool thing, and I think like. In comedy, or when you're if you're trying to get into anything, I think it's important to find some sort of a community of like-minded people, whether it's a class or a film festival or anything. Or, or I think it's that's an important part yeah. of a component mm -hmm. to, to getting to, to finding. First of all, just to get with like-minded people and to to better uh, to find your voice and to connect with like-minded people. Right. How difficult is it to uh, to do like a cartoon by yourself? It was extremely stressful because uh, even if you if your cartoon like if you see something you're like that cartoon looks like shit. It probably took somebody two months yeah. to make it, <laughs> no matter what. So it's like it's uh, so I would go and and then people like what was cool about channel one was everybody's contributing to this community. And then there are people like, I wrote the script. Do you want to anime? I'm like, not really. You know, <laughs> I'm like the only one not contributing to this community. I'm just kind of taking people and, hmm. and not giving back as much, but, uh, uh, it's very stressful and, and, and I don't, I don't do it anymore, but it is fun to animate. I do like it. It's just so time consuming. Yeah. And I do do some animation for the show. Uh, which I enjoy doing. I did more of that in season one and season two, but I do like animating. I'm not very good at it, or I wouldn't consider myself all that skilled, mm -hmm. but it's fun. What would be, if you were to give some advice if they wanted to like do 
um, write like their own animated stuff and animate themselves. What would be like the equipment you tell them to get and whatnot? Well, I don't know if it's called Wacom or Wacom. I've heard, heard both ways, but you're going to need a Wacom or Wacom tablet of some capacity, and they're getting more and more affordable. But you're going to need that because that's uh, basically a monitor that you can draw on. Mm. Um, if you don't have that, it's going to it's going to cost you thousands of dollars to get going, just no matter what. Uh, okay. Yeah, it's. Uh, you probably will want to get. Uh, I really like Toon Boom, and there are affordable versions of it out there that you can get to, to learn. And uh, there are a lot of paths to, to learning how to animate, but for me, I just kind of self-taught myself, which is kind of, I mean, it's definitely, I think, I don't know that I would necessarily recommend it. It's kind of like, you know, with anything creative, you think like, well, if I teach myself, I'll have my own special style. <laughs> like, like, that's how it was when I learned, I taught myself how to play guitar. And then I remember going at a book and like learning, I was like, I could have learned this like 10 times faster if I just <laughs> actually looked at a book of how to play guitar. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know that that's, I mean, it's fun to, to, to dick around and, uh, and, uh, but if you can, if you can afford it, you know, it's definitely I recommend getting a class or getting taught how to do it. Mm -hmm. It's preferable. Mm -hmm. When you, uh, when you're doing channel 101 and you keep like coming back with like, you know, second episodes or different shows, do you find yourself becoming a better writer through like the whole process? Yes, absolutely. And that's what like, sometimes I go online and you see, uh, 300 episodes of John and the John and Mike show. Cause at some point, like you have to like keep maybe, maybe the John and Mike show is really great and they keep changing it up and it gets more interesting and entertaining. But I don't think it's great to keep doing the same thing. Mm -hmm. I think you have to keep pushing yourself. And, and that's what it forced me to do because first of all, you have, you're showing your shorts in front of a live audience and you want to make your friends laugh and you want to make, you would just want to beat them in a friendly competitive way uh also just stretching yourself of what you're able to do because if you look at the early stuff i did it was just, it's just like nonsensical stuff with like silly sound effects which were they were maybe they're still pretty funny but eventually it's like all right i want to tell stories i want to like i want to focus on that part and uh what if I was able to make a show and it also had a little dr drama in it. Like, just like, is that impossible? You think to yourself, like, I can't, that's not in my wheelhouse, but why not try to do that? Uh, so that was kind of what I was trying to do with, with in Channel 101 was just tr every time I made a new cartoon, I was just trying to do something different. Mm -hmm. And I think that helped me. The, the, the film festival forced me to do that almost in a mm -hmm. way, but I thought that was, otherwise, I mean, I'm, the very first short I made, I think it was called, like, The Adventure Hunks. There may be, like, The Adventure Hunks number 500 right now, you know? <laughs> if like, if YouTube existed and I was just posting it, you know. So my advice is, like, what I, what I see a lot online is, like, the same people just kind of focusing on their one idea. Mm. Like, I don't think that's... If that's in your heart, do that. Maybe because maybe you're onto something, and but but... If you feel like you're, if you're not stretching yourself, you're not challenging yourself, then you're never going to grow. Mm -hmm. What are the uh, the hallmarks of a of a good channel one on one show? Um, 
Well, always from the beginning, the hallmark of a good Channel 101 show is to have a solid story foundation. So um, Dan uh, had created kind of a, uh, a, it's kind of like the Save the Cat, but it's like the story structure, mm -hmm. story circle. If you search Channel 101 story structure, he boils it down to a circle and then you, you can kind of create the the arc of the story based off of what needs to happen. Uh, just common, he bases it on like, all right, these are the four aspects of, to a story. It has to have all, each of these components to be, be a complete story. Mm -hmm. So that was what was interesting. It wasn't just sketch comedy. It was, it was focused on doing a story. Uh, but I think, you know, a lot of good sketch comedy has a story structure to it as well. Mm -hmm. What's your uh, What's your favorite Channel One One show? My God, okay, there's so much <laughs> um, out there. God, I like the really dumb shit. Out there. There's so much like, there's this one show called, and this isn't my favorite. I just for some reason it just came to mind because like I think what was fun too is because Channel One One was a way for people to see your things. And these were things that were not on the internet or on TV. You couldn't see it anywhere. So there was this really dumb show called Boner for Boner where <laughs> a guy could only get a boner if he saw a picture of his own boner. And then somebody <laughs> steals the picture of his boner and he can't have a boner anymore. So it's an adventure of him trying to steal back the picture. It's like, this is like, this would never be on TV. This right, is just right. totally crazy and insane. Um, but world, it was just just dumb shit. World War Clown about clowns fighting clowns, and it, it, there's so much uh, undiscovered funny stuff on that side that I think is really great. That's yeah. Whenever I've watched like Channel 101 stuff, it has always I've always liked how it's like this very dumb stuff in a clear like story structure. Yeah, it's kind of like a fun marriage <laughs> of things where it's like right. Uh, like I remember I saw the Dan Harmon one like the laser fart. Oh, that's great! And yeah. it's like it's like a per, it's like you know it's very stupid, but then it's like the story wise, it's satisfying. That was one of my the the things that hooked me. It was mm -hmm. Laser Fart. I was like, this is really funny. Like Laser Fart has no right to be any good, but he like wrote this dramatic arc where his fiance dies, and yeah. you know, <laughs> uh, yeah, I thought that was a great one. Uh, so I, through Channel One One One, did you start getting um, writing jobs? Um, not right away. Not exactly. So I, I think, I think, you know, people saw me as, you know, an animator and not so much as a writer, but I wanted to be thought, I thought like my passion truly is writing and I don't think I'm a, you know, uh, that great of an animator. So, um, a lot of, and also a lot of the people that were my peers with Channel 101 were getting shows and uh, like like Dan and Justin for Rick and Morty and I never asked them to be a writer on the show um, I, and uh, I through a, through a producer discovered my shorts and uh, who was doing do you know, do you know what Smosh Smoshes. Oh, that YouTube channel? Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. So they were doing a spin-off channel called Shut Up Cartoons. And uh, Smosh, 
if you've heard of it, is kind of the antithesis of the kind of comedy I want to make. Because it's kind of, it's, it's fine. For, I'm not t- talking shit about it. It's just like more based for tweens and young people. And uh, I met with them. And uh, at this time, YouTube had acquired a lot of money to make content. And uh, they basically let me do whatever I want. And I got two web series through them. And uh, through that, I was able to get representation through all of this. And at the, at the same time, I did, uh, because Justin, I think we're kind of comedically cousins, even though our humor isn't exactly the same. We both kind of have an absurdist, surrealist take on comedy. Uh, he wanted me involved in the interdimensional cable episode of, of the first mm-hmm. season of Rick and Morty. So I came in freelance for that episode. And... Uh, and then for season, then afterwards, uh, after I finished these two web series, then um, eventually uh, I was hanging out with 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 Justin at one point, and he he saw the channel one, a channel one one short that I had made called Staff of Galroth, and um, he started laughing. He was laughing really hard, and he said, "I mean, I, sh- I wish I could just work for you." I was like, "Well, I would." You know, like to work for you. <laughs> He's like, "All right, well, you want to be a writer on the show?" Like, yeah. And two days later, I was a writer for the wow. show. It was crazy. It was like <laughs> I should have asked him. You know, <laughs> you know maybe uh, this could have happened much quicker. What was the uh, the transition to writing for TV like? From like going from the show? Oh, it's stuff? super like stressful mm-hmm. because I walk into this room and everybody's a seasoned writer. Either they had already worked on season one of Rick and Morty. Or all these other people who had worked on a lot of shows, and uh, it's it, it creates a lot of anxiety and like you keep this is like poisonous to yourself, but you keep thinking like, all right, am I not talking enough? I, I okay, I'll wait for somebody to to quiet down and then I'll say something, and then I said my thing for the day and I'm not totally useless, <laughs> but like you kind of like, and it's hard to escape from that no matter what. I think you you have to. After it takes a couple of months, I think, for you to kind of, or even a month, or, or some people shorter. For me, it was a little while mm-hmm. for me to feel comfortable and get to get kind of get over my anxiety. Because if you're thinking about yourself and not the show, it's not good. Yeah, you have to think of it as a uh, as an entity of its own that is in flux, and everybody's contributing. And you want to, if somebody else gives an idea, you want to, you know help them with their idea versus just staying within your own head, mm-hmm. which uh, was my obstacle. It's, it's tough because a lot of writers are like, you know, solitary creatures. Yes. Yes. And so then the writer's room is like a completely different animal because you're like talking a lot. You're, you're, you're pitching and riffing. Yes. So, yeah. And everybody, I mean, I walked in and all of the writers were just doing, you know, bits amongst themselves. <clears throat> and I'm like, God, I don't, feel like I fit in you know <laughs> um, but it was a very powerful and cool experience I mean everybody I learned so much from the other writers there mm-hmm. and of course Dan and Justin uh, themselves and you mentioned uh, the story circle um, and the kind of the hero's journey is that like um, how the episodes are like breaking down in that room oh yeah yeah so I mean, there are many like levels to it, so you'll you'll look at it. I mean, we actually use for hot streets. I mean, I still 
use the story circle mm -hmm. because it's it's a, a much easier way to organize things. I just see it as a really good tool. Um, but you think of it. I hope I'm not being boring here, but you no. think of it uh, as uh, on, on, a, on a few different levels. So you're going to have a couple, a few different circles. Like, so you'll, if we're telling a, uh, you know, a Jerry story or whatever, or whatever, whoever. So we're, you'll have a character arc that you want to break down in, and then you'll want to have the actual nuts and bolts plot arc. And sometimes it's you have a thematic arc too that you're putting mm. into all of this so you break it down into a lot of different levels i the thematic arc seems like the most difficult thing to kind of uh land yeah well yeah yeah but the nice thing is sometimes the character arc and the thematic arc are yeah, one yeah. in itself that's uh, what what you want that's mm -hmm. the, the good stuff <laughs> Uh, how do you how do you break story for a show like Rick and Morty where you can kind of do anything because it's like a sci-fi bend and you can kind of take stories anywhere you want? Well, they'll have what for Rick and Morty they would have you know what they would call blue sky days where I mean there'd be just this gigantic book of ideas and sometimes it's just X-ray vision and that's it you know and then you ha that's one idea and that gets put in the book or you might say I have an idea. I remember I had uh, an idea um, about these brain monsters that would gestate inside of your neck and then come out, and it wouldn't go anywhere. Yeah. So that's like I wound up using a lot of my stuff that wasn't used in Rick and Morty for my own show. So you just take, you just throw, and if it either it it fits within the world of Rick and Morty or it doesn't, but it's kind of a, a cool creative time where you just got to get to pitch anything you want. Uh, you know, Beth, you know, becomes an astronaut or, you know, whatever. There's no bad ideas. It's just, mm -hmm. and then I think, I don't know what, what happened, but I remember one day it was Justin and Dan, I think it was a blue sky day where we were just, just talking about things. And at one point it was like, what if the Beatles and Rick and Morty got trapped in a supermarket together? <laughs> and and it was uh, Dan was playing each of the Beatles, and he did an ex distinct voice. Like you knew it when it was Ringo or when it was George Harrison. It was really fucking uncanny. And then Justin was riffing as both Rick and Morty, and it went on in my head. It went on for like an hour, but probably like five minutes. But it was just fucking hilarious. And this stuff just goes nowhere. Uh, it's like dis that poof, it's gone. Like, yeah. but I was there for for that little moment of joy. <laughs> What do you what do you think are like the hallmarks of a of a good episode of Rick and Morty? Um, you know, I'm what I I, I always tend to um, I like I like it when it has the silly and the serious at the same time. Like I love it when it has that special juicy combination. Like I like a lot of people. Some people don't like the interdimensional cable, but the first interdimensional cable when it has like all the like dick jokes and farts, and then it had that really intense. You know, I had nothing to do with that 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 episode or that the story that d dramatic element, but I thought that was like when you have the the peanut butter and jelly. You know, yeah, I think that makes the most special episodes mm -hmm. of Rick and Morty. Mm -hmm. But there's some episodes that just come out and like, wow, this is just fucking. 
like in season three, the the sit the citadel the stories or whatever mm. it was called. I thought that was like really fucking fascinating. It's not even like it's just like this really cool story. Yeah, right? yeah. I mean, so I, I think what makes any show strong is the diversity of the, what you can do. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it'll be, you know, a get swifty type episode. And sometimes it'll be a, the Citadel Ricks type episode. Mm-hmm. Were you surprised at how like big the show became? When I saw the pilot, I, I, this is, I don't know if this will sound lame, but I, I always thought it had a mainstream appeal to it because it had the sitcom element and the sci-fi to it as well. When I saw the pilot, I was like, wow, this is really something. I think this could be something, but I was su- I was surprised how big it came for yeah. sure and how fast mm-hmm. because uh, it immediately it just kind of blew up in a way. And everybody's got a bootleg Rick and Morty shirt, <laughs> like The Simpsons in its day. Uh, and you you wrote on uh, Robot Chicken, yeah. So after Rick and well, even before I started on Rick and Morty, I was developing my own show mm-hmm. and I had pitched it to Adult Swim. After I, I got on Rick and Morty, um, my management got me a meeting. They were already, Adult Swim, I had pitched my show idea to Adult Swim because of the uh, Smosh cartoons I was doing. I was able to get a meeting, and uh, they liked the idea. And Justin um, was going to do the, the voice of Chubby Webbers from the beginning, which I guess probably helped me quite a bit in terms of taking me seriously. Uh, and uh, I met th- the executive that I was I met with is his name is Walter Newman and he's you know he's over he kind of is over a lot of uh, or most of Adult Swim stuff right now uh, and I, I initially pitched it as a cop show and he in our meeting he's like well if it's a cop case of the week it kind of boxes it in a little bit and Although, like, he saw, like, you know, merit in what we were doing. I was like, well, what if it's, like, an FBI type show? He's like, yeah, why don't you redevelop it and come back? Mm. Which I think is really cool because most of the stories I hear is you pitch something, they're like, nah. Right. So he's like, I see something in this idea, but I think it can be better. Why don't you come back after you, you know, redesign it Mm -hmm. and we'll look at it. Um, And I think think he was a pretty key figure for, for the show. Because um, he he always tends to, it's not, and there are never notes that are coming from vanity. It's always like, I think the show can be better if you look at it this way, which is a, from a, when you're creative and you're getting a, a constructive note, it's like fucking great. Right. Um, so he was, they were already kind of interested in the show or but vaguely, but I think what made it, extra appealing was I my management set me up on a meeting with Stupidity, the, the, the people who make Robot Chicken, and they loved my pitch. And uh, they said, instead of going back to Adult Swim, why don't we get, first of all, let's get Justin as an, ex- an executive producer, uh, and let's all fly to Atlanta and pitch it directly to Mike Lazo, because uh, they saw so much, it was, they saw worth in what I was doing, and they wanted to. It was just like, "Wow, this is fucking exciting." Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, that that they saw so much potential in what I was doing. Um, so, it took time to do that, though. Like to get all those people together, including Seth Green, 
to, to, fly, to get to Atlanta, I think it was like six to nine months later, after they'd already said they were somewhat vaguely interested in, in the least. So uh, we get there and like, I, I met Seth Green probably like 30 minutes before the pitch. So I was like, <laughs> holy shit, this is Seth Green and he's helping me pitch my show and I'm here with Justin and everybody uh, that works in that for that company. And we got in and I was kind of pitching it and then Justin kind of took over for me because uh, you could see that uh, I was kind of flubbing it just a little <laughs> bit, a little a bit intimidating to be with the, the head of Adult Swim and uh, he was kind of, he helped out a lot and actually all, 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 all of them there to, to begin with, I mean the fact that we flew there and pitched it in person it was pretty, pretty uh, fucking exciting. Yeah. And yeah, they agreed to uh, the pilot right then and there in that mm -hmm. room. And that led to Robot Chicken? Well, yeah. So like the, the thing about that's that just sucks is like, all right, great. We want to make a pilot of your show. All right. So we'll just get back to you yeah. in 12 months <laughs> yeah. with the paperwork. So you're just kind of waiting around. So um, at that point, they're like, they asked me to do a, a, a little, some writing on Robot Chicken. And I really wanted to, so I was like, all right, that'd be, that sounds like fun. It's not really my expertise at all, like doing sketch comedy. So I was like, this will be an interesting challenge. So I did that for about a month, I, I would say. Um, and it was a, a cool experience. So was, I'm not like, I'm not a pop culture-y guy. Mm -hmm. So it's like, I'm not up to date with everything. So a lot of my ideas were like, Happy Days and <laughs> Mr. Magoo. I'm like, does anybody know my sketches? What, what, who, does anybody know what, what I'm even referencing? Mm -hmm. And I mean, coming from Channel 101, where you like, you know, the emphasis on is on the story and telling a full story. Was it difficult to write sketches? Um, I think you kind of. I, I I mean, I'd, I'd have to talk to a you know a sketch writer, but I think you take a lot of the same components because I mean. The worst sketches, or maybe not the worst, but sometimes you can have an absurdist sketch that doesn't have an en ending. But I think the best sketches are the ones that have an ending, mm -hmm. and you can use the philosophy of the story structure for a, for a sketch. Um, if you have a character and he's, you know, it, it's the joke has to escalate in some point and turn into something else, and it ends. Right. So it's kind of you are still kind of using the same tools almost. Mm -hmm. And so you mentioned you're not really into into pop culture, but how how do you write comedy about pop culture in general? I don't. Yeah. <laughs> so Robot Chicken, if you look at my content, I don't. We don't really do pop culture jokes. Right. That's just like uh, not my style. So, so what I what I did was like I kept trying to take a character and create a character and create a little com comedic I bit see, for yeah. that character. So mm -hmm. I was just kind of doing my own version. So it's not like uh, you know, maybe a normal G.I. Joe sketch would be what Snake Eyes looks like under his mask or whatever. So I would uh, I would just try to do a little miniature story. Mm. So I did, I think the one that I'm most proud of was a Mr. Magoo sketch. It's called Mr. Magoo Blind Swordsman. It's like a Zatoichi <laughs> Mr. Magoo where he's accidentally is in Japan and is accidentally sword fighting and killing people. <laughs> and I created this dramatic ending. I thought it would be 
is so fucking incredible. If like if Mr. Magoo accidentally kills somebody that he cares about, mm. and at the end that's what we that ending stays. But I had an I was like, what if afterwards he kills this person and he could see what he did and he like starts crying? But what if we then see him on a on an airplane flying home from Japan to America and him just like d doubling down on his grief? Like a, a flight attendant goes to, to ask if he's okay and he starts, you know, uh, lamenting the fact that he can see. And it's like he just starts crying even more because <laughs> at the end, like, he's able to kind of see. So I thought that was really crazy. I do like how it turned out because I, I think that the, the director, Tom Shepard, and they did these all these elaborate fight sequences and stuff. I thought it was really well done and cool. Mm -hmm. Uh. And so we'll get to Hot Streets in a second, but you also did stuff, like you were at like an Ant-Man thing, right? Yeah, so I did a, a children's show called Future Worm, and I worked on that for a year. Actually, I worked on that after Rick and Morty. I worked on that for about a year before I even worked on the pilot of Hot Streets. Mm. And on, uh, on a show like that, how do you uh, write comedy like stuff for children? It's just, for me, I guess, um, I like to think of, of comedy uh, when I'm writing something I like to make the comedy kind of tied to the plot mm. as much as possible in the character so you can kind of tweak and tune your sensibilities so it's just a little sillier and I kind of like that I, I like writing children's entertainment and when I was working on that show which is probably one of the like funnest experiences for me was working on that show because you have a lot of time first of all versus a lot of harsh deadlines and mm. other shows so you can kind of goof around a lot uh and the creator ryan quincy was really great and we had a great collection of writers there and at one point um i i had an office i shared with uh, the, another writer nick confalon and uh one of his friends uh jermaine turner was collecting talent or for these uh, Rocket and Groot shorts and Ant-Man shorts, and I happened to be in the room. And uh, he showed these, like, uh, test reels from Passion Films, I think they're called, from France. They were animating it. And I saw this... He sh I saw the Rocket and Groot one, and I saw the Ant-Man short, and I never met this person before. Uh, and when I saw the Ant-Man, it was, like... It's, this hasn't been released online, but it is exactly Jack Kirby-style animated. Oh, wow. The shorts still look fucking incredible to mm -hmm. me, but when I saw that short, I was like, "Holy fuck!" Mm -hmm. I was like, "Can I be? In, can I throw my hat in the ring for this?" I mean, and then I just like emailed him like every week, just begging. And I'm not even like a big like comic book guy. I just thought it was fucking so cool mm -hmm. stylistically. I was just really impressed. And um, eventually, I did get the job for that, and it was me and a lot of Marvel people. And the French directors flew out, and we were pitching these these shorts, and I wrote the outlines for them, and they just turned out incredible. That was like I I love just writing. Like if if I was not doing hot streets right now, and I was just on a project, I love it. It's like it's when you have a a cool collaborative group, and everybody is skilled, and like you, you and everything is in sync. It's a beautiful thing. And I'm really proud of those Ant-Man shorts. I think they're really mm -hmm. fucking cool. I, it's like it's a shame that they're kind of nobody, not many people watched them or appreciated them. Mm -hmm. But I, if you were to watch them, like if you go to the the Disney XD, 
specifically Ant-Man shorts directed by these French directors. And they, they're, they're the ones like it says written by me and you'll see my name, but they like, they are the ones to be credited for that. Mm. And I, 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 I wish there was more stuff like that mm. out there. When you're, when you're dealing with those, cause like each short is, is like two minutes, right? Mm-hmm. How, how do you tell like a full, a full thing in, in two minutes? Well, I was used to it because of channel oh, 101. Yeah. So I was used to just making these short form stories. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't also collectively as a group, we decided kind of what stories would be appropriate for Ant-Man and, mm-hmm. and, um, it wasn't that hard. Yeah. It's fun, more fun than anything. What's it like working with like a, like a big company like Marvel for something like this? Well, there's only one day, so oh, okay. I, I can't remember all the names of the people that were there, but they were all kind of like the Disney, a lot of the Marvel people mm-hmm. that you would see on a lot of Marvel projects. Yeah. Uh, so it was a, it was a, a, like a writer's room. It was like anything else that I've worked on mm-hmm. where we were trying to figure out the story. Mm-hmm. I came in with ideas and as a group, we kind of came up with them. Would you want to write more uh, superhero stuff? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, I had a lot of fun with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so with Hot Streets, so how did you first get on their, their radar? Well, Hot, Hot Streets was that pitch that I had. Oh, right, yeah, when, yeah. I, when I brought to them, I brought to Adult Swim, and I can't even remember the year at this point, but I imagine it was before Rick and Morty came out, I had pitched, and I wrote the script that I gave with my pitch packet in hindsight that I'm super embarrassed about. Because <laughs> Rick and Morty hadn't come out yet, and I was a freelance writer on the first se- season on that one episode. And I, wrote, I did not know. It was a surprise to me that on Rick and Morty that once we realized there were going to be m- multiple dimensions with multiple Ricks and multiple Mortys. Mm. I was not expecting that. So once... My script was all about a mirror universe with multiple versions uh-huh. of the characters. And I was like, oh my God, this is so fucking embarrassing that I submitted this to Adult Swim. This is clearly just a Rick and Morty ripoff. <laughs> I, who had written on an episode, submitted a script that had a mirror universe with multiple characters. So um, I threw that script away. And luckily, they did read the script and, uh, and everything. But mm-hmm. um, So it was more... And then eventually... I uh, went to work on, on Rick and Morty. And then in the middle of it or after, I can't even remember, is when I, we, maybe even before it, I fl- we flew down and we sold the, the pilot. Mm-hmm. When you, how do you prepare for like a pitch like that? Um, well, I think the, the best thing is, kind of like I was saying earlier, like nobody, it's hard to just write something and have somebody want to read it. Right. So it's, for me, I don't know if this is the same path for everybody else. Or you could meet, if you're just a writer and you're not an animator, meet somebody who does, or you could team up and partner up or make them a co-creator if you think they're, uh, or pay them. Um, but you probably want to have something to show, be it an animatic or a short. So I had made, I made a couple of different shorts. One that was a little tiny story, like a Channel 101 short, but uh, Matt... Seinrich and the other uh, people in, at, at Super Buddy Studios are like, maybe you should just make a short that just shows the characters off. And I think that was really smart of them. So I just I did this other short. It's just the characters talking to each other, and you get a sense of their personality because these characters are going to be in a lot of episodes, and why are they going to... They have to have some sort of a chemistry or some sort of a, mm. 
dynamic that you're going to want to see. Otherwise, you know, it, the show gets stale after a couple episodes right. if the characters don't have any kind of interesting way of, of interacting with each other. Mm-hmm. Once the once the series was greenlit, how do, how do you go about like hiring all these people? Like and then, like choosing what like as the creator, like choosing what you want to focus on and who you want and well, it was in terms of um, in terms of the writing, or I guess the writing most about I me. Mean, I'm sure there's other stuff besides writing that you like have to be worrying about. I would say like uh, this is something to think about. But when you're writing for comedy, I mean, I think probably I guess anything. But what what shocked me was surprising more than anything is just how the writing is important. But it's if the other things don't work the comedy will fail. Mm. So you can have a brilliant script, hand it to some people to animate, and they'll animate it, and you will not laugh. And you're like, this but this is the funniest thing I've ever written. Why? So the the writing is only like 25% of it. And sometimes, theoretically, jokes will be funny in the room. You'll be laughing. But in action, when you see it, like, mm, this mm. doesn't work. So I, you have to think about it visually when you're in the writer's room. I, that's something that I tend to do is like, all right, can I s- imagine this joke in my head? If I can't, then I scrap it mm. because we're going to have people draw it and animate it, and then it might not work. Right. Well, it's especially interesting to think of animation because like, uh, you can kind of like – I mean, it is, it is weird if you're Ed Spin and then like, they have to just animate it. And you've made, you're forcing people to like draw and spend time doing that, uh, versus like I guess I mean I guess you know force someone to film something's a lot too, but yeah, animation I don't know that feels that feels worse to me if you, it's not going to be good. Well, you can do it though at the same maybe actually it might be better in animation because you can animatic in the animatic form where you're doing sure. rough thumbs and rough you, you could see there mm-hmm. you're like all right the joke this joke theoretically this is funny like there was an episode uh, for in season two called uh, Tip to the Lip where. Here's an example of theoretically the joke is funny, but it actually didn't quite land. Uh, we had this joke where this is character named Dr. Chandi Tandi, and we see his name tag. His name is very clear. And the very first time we meet him, our, the, the boss character of Hot Streets immediately calls him the wrong name. He's like, actually, my name is Chandi Tandi, not Plami Rami, or whatever he calls him. And all throughout the episode, we see his name tag and the character dies and we get a phone call from the the boss character asking and he's he even says the name of the character wrong yet again and at the end of the episode the characters return from their mission and they announce that this character uh, the boss character so where and he says a really long name so where's Dr. Chalabalusa Lali Mamgambi Nam Nambi? He like says a real wrong version of the name. That's so extreme. And the character tell our character one of the uh, agents tells him that he died. And then he says to himself, he just sighs and says, "I loved that man very sincerely." <laughs> Which theoretically that should be funny yeah. because like he's been calling him the wrong name the whole time. Mm-hmm. And now he's sad about this guy dying. But um, so it just doesn't, I mean, I don't, I don't know why it doesn't work. Really? Like, so it the, doesn't. The way you explained it is funny. 
It doesn't, though. If you watch it, like, that joke never lands. But usually we're able to fix it. But right there, there like, I was like, how can we make this joke funnier? Okay, we're going to show the name. He's going to be wearing a name tag. Mm. We're going to point to it. He points to the name tag. Oh, so you added the name tag later? Yeah. Oh, So okay. we're trying as hard as we can to make the joke work. Yeah, that's really fascinating. I guess I didn't think about it, but in animation, you can, like, unlike in sitcom stuff, you can't really go back and film too much. But animation, Yeah, you, you can, can make... do whatever you want. Yeah. A lot of times, you're like, all right, there's a character that got, gets angry every time, but it was hard tracking that it was the same character every time getting angry. So we gave him these big, gigantic cartoon eyes that got angry. And like, all right, now we know that guy, whenever we see that guy, we know who he is. Because mm-hmm. in live action, you don't, I guess you don't have that issue. But in cartoon, it's like, all right, this cartoon just looks like a background guy. He's not tracking as a recurring guy that right. we saw earlier. Mm-hmm. And, and with animation, I guess there's a lot more room, I guess, to do stuff like in the background. Or to do like uh, like like kind of side jokes almost. Yeah, I don't really. Uh, for me, I don't normally. I don't yeah. do that. But mm-hmm. I, I, sometimes people. A lot of times that is the storyboard artists, um, or the background designers will add their little jokes, which are which are fun. And a lot mm-hmm. of shows like in Futurama, you catch like crazy details and. Rick and Morty, there's all sorts of crazy stuff. I like continuity things in the background. Mm. There's still a shitload of stuff of people that, or at least online, people haven't noticed continuity-wise yeah. in the show. I love little continuity moments. Like, oh, that's the character. This is, a ba- I mean, an obvious example. Like, oh, the character is super religious. And in the background, I can see he's got his crucifix in the background. I love little character mm. continuity things that, that for people to pick up, for mm-hmm. people to notice. Um, but I don't tend to, I don't do that that much. Mm-hmm. When the, when the show started, how'd you uh, go about hiring writers? I picked because it was my first time being a head writer. I literally just picked everybody that I knew that had a similar commute. I didn't go for any, uh, outside writers. Mm-hmm. I just picked, uh, friends of mine because I knew it would be running my first show would be stressful. Mm-hmm. So I picked people that I had already known, and I think all uh, most of them had never written for a TV show, um, but had worked on Channel One One shorts, and I trusted them. And um, so it worked out. And for season two, every single one of them came back, which is a luxury because you're right for you know between three to six months and then you don't write again for another year and maybe they've all moved on and do other things. So it's definitely a luxury to get the same people back. And, um, so it was, it was, uh, that was kind of the, the way I did it, but. Well, what was that like? I mean, being like a show, a first time creator and stuff and then running a room and whatnot. Um, it was basically, you know, it, it was actually a fun. It was fun mm-hmm. because I think because we all knew each other. It was a lot of fun, uh, and everybody kind of got the style and the sensibility. It took a little while, as, as it does in any show, to kind of get to the groove of what would be right for Hot Streets and what wouldn't be. I mean, at first, I think we were pitching like I think there was like a Dean Koontz jab in one of the episodes. Like, I don't know if that's what we're doing here, you know? <laughs> I don't think pop culture, I mean, there's, there's, there's so many shows. Like, I think what, what we did is like, what, what are, what's out there right now? What are the, what are the jokes that we're seeing? What can we do differently? 
what are the types of characters? All right, there are a lot of characters on shows like Peter Griffin and, and Homer and, and even Rick that drink a lot. What if we made our character a totally sober Christian? Mm. What can we do that, you know, we were just trying to find our own voice. Mm-hmm. That was kind of like, and we just tried to search for the obscure abstract joke. And, and uh, our jokes don't usually tend to be about characters insulting other characters. We're, we're trying to just keep it. I think it also it had to do with the, the fact that our sh- episodes were so short, 15-minute episodes, and there's, the plots are so complex for these 15 minutes. You have to, it ha- it's, the characters don't get to stop and just like riff or anything. It's just like everything is about the plot and what's happening and the characters. Mm-hmm. So it kind of forced us with the format to kind of just focus only on the characters and the plot. Mm-hmm. Did, um, how did things change from doing stuff like, like narratively, how did it change from stuff like at channel one one to like now doing a TV show? Um, well, I mean, you, it didn't change really that much except the episodes. Whenever you do something longer, you kind of have to make the characters more, a lot more complex. Mm-hmm. So you just, a lot of people watch Hot Streets. And, I mean, people might be listening to them and just th- think this is fucking dumb because it's just a bunch of, like, chaos. Uh, for a lot of people might watch it, it's just chaos washing over their eyes. <laughs> but we do really talk about the characters quite a bit. And, like, you know, the, the first, when, when you're in the writer's room in the beginning, we just like, all right, what are the characters? Who, who are these people? What are their, what, what are they like? What are, what are, what are their what are their accomplishments? What have they done in the past? You, you create a backstory for them. And you think to yourself, like, what's the best thing that could happen to this character knowing what we know? And what's the worst thing? And then you create plots mm. based on that. You're like, all right, we know that this character wouldn't feel... We know that, for example, uh, Agent French craves power and he's very insecure so what if we put him in charge of a hot streets case and then he's also at the same time turning into a thermos who goes power crazy you know <laughs> so it's just like you you kind of everything is is based on uh, on on that foundation mm-hmm. on the of the characters and when you uh add in like a team of of people like you know writers animators do you, do you think you, I don't know, like maybe lose a little something, gain something but lose something at the same time? Um, I, I see it as a gift. Mm-hmm. Any every person who has an idea is like, hey, I have an like. Sometimes a lot of times it won't be like editors don't get credit. Like our editor Phil, I mean, he's those, these are the people that are putting the episodes together. Right. It's like, hey, I think you know the story would track if we added a shot of 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 Bransky, you know. Uh, a wide shot of Bransky doing such and such. And you're like, yeah, you're right. You know, like every idea is a gift from every person. Like the character create or the storyboard artist. Like, what if we? I remember in uh, in season two, episode one. There's we have this scene at a pool, and we've created this character, Creamy Zeus, who's a character who made out of cream, and he he's like, he, what if the guy is actually instead of standing next to the pool, what if he's in the pool? I'm like, duh, why did we 
Of course. That's a fucking <laughs> great... Like, I see every idea coming from the outside. It's a gift because, mm. like, I never see it as anything being taken from me. Mm. I, I love... I try to embrace the collaborative spirit. And that's why I think, you know, when I was saying that writers are an important part of the foundation, but everybody that works on the show has a voice. And I want to, I always want to keep that because like you should never throw away an idea because uh, people who throw away ideas are, I don't know, kind of like full of themselves or full of shit. Mm-hmm. And you'll never be successful unless you're able to embrace other people's ideas. Mm-hmm. And uh, I guess uh, superficially, some people would look at the show and say it's similar to Rick and Morty. But then, like when you watch it, it's completely different. Right. But how do you? How would you? Uh, I don't know. How do you deal with that if someone like if that comes up? It's impossible to market the show mm. <laughs> because they want to say, "All right, you look at it. It's got Justin Roiland. It's a supernatural adventure show. Mm-hmm. That's Rick and Morty, right?" Mm-hmm. Uh, but and they want, and it's from the company that makes. Robot Chicken, all right. The two most popular Adult Swim shows. This is just the easiest show to market in the world. So Robot Chicken is pop culture sketches, all right? We don't do that at all on Hot Streets, not even the slightest. We don't have anybody from that team on either team, writing team, on our show. So it's me. I definitely worked on Rick and Morty. So let's, all right, so Robot Chicken, it's hard to kind of say it's anything like Robot Chicken. Right. But you could you could look at Rick and Morty like, all right, we've got Justin Roiland. He's one of the main characters, supernatural. It's surreal, uh, sci-fi, uh, high-concept science fiction stories. But the also, they have kind of a foundation that's based on a sitcom, and it's a little bit more of a real world. And then they can they can go back and forth. You could do the sitcom, right? And then you can go. It's a, it has a much easier entry point. And um, also because they they're doing a thirty minute show, they have, get, they're able to give their episode a little air to breathe, and you get kind of get to live with the characters a little more. Mm-hmm. So you get to Hot Streets, and it is just pedal to the metal plot. It's a, you're just getting thrown into chaos, and I think. Um, the type of humor, and this is not to disparage any type of humor. It's just like I don't want to. I see other Rick and Morty does a lot of pop culture jokes too, and they do a lot of meta humor, and they do a lot of things, and they do it well. And it's just like South Park; they do a lot of like political stuff really well. It's like each show has its like niche. Like, like what, what can we do that's a little different? So we're trying not to do the same kinds of jokes that they're doing. We're trying to kind of do our own thing. So the jokes, I said earlier that I feel like Justin and I, more so so than Dan, are kind of comedically similar, like comedic cousins. But Justin is different than me in that he can riff and just make up some the most the funniest thing you've ever heard, just making it up on the spot. Me, I have to like kind of meditate for hours on end to come up with something as funny as that mm-hmm. so uh it's like i'm doing a more structured version it's like taking a structured version of a joke mm-hmm. and and but doing the, the surreal justin version of it mm. uh, so i think you know a lot of people that watch rick and morty watch hot streets and like it takes them a while to adjust. They're like, right. why is this 
I don't know if I like this or not because it's not exactly what I was expecting. Mm-hmm. You, you mentioned it's hard to market. Well, what do you do like as a as it's like your show? How do you make sure people see it? Well, I mean, it, I mean, they are marketing it. Well, right, they're doing right. it. It's like I mean, it is. You know, they're marketing is heavily on the Rick and Morty factor, and mm-hmm. it, it's ratings seem to be doing pretty well. But at the same time, it's like it's like Rick and Morty. But it's not. So, like, they don't know which side. To, like, they want to, like, should we take the originality aspect and market that mm-hmm. and kind of put Rick and Morty behind it? Because there's a little blowback, I think, a little bit from Rick and Morty fans. are like, I want season four Rick and Morty. I don't want this other show. People don't realize that our show's production schedules don't right. interfere at all. <laughs> so it's like you get this other show for free, you know, and it's not disrupt. Justin comes in and does his voices and that's it. He's not in our writer's mm-hmm. room and it, nobody on Rick and Morty is working on our show. I mean, well, we, that's not entirely true. Our director came from Rick and Morty and a lot of people that worked on our show came from Rick and Morty. Um, but the schedules don't interfere at right. all. Mm-hmm. So, there are people that are just pissy out there. <laughs> like, where's my Rick and Morty? This isn't Rick and Morty. What, what, why is he wasting his time doing that? Yeah, fuck this show. I want Rick and Morty. And there are other people on the other extreme. You have the other people like, you know what? Fuck Rick and Morty. I like this show better. Like, we don't. I don't. I just we just want people to watch the show. I don't right. Care. Is there, but is there anything like you can do at all that to help like drive uh, viewers? Um, I did a short because when they were promoting the show, mm-hmm. we were. I was like, God, the second season, I think, is better than the first season. And I think it's the, the, the because we've had, we've already established the characters, we're able to take the stories and make them a little bit more melodramatic. And that was what really excited me comedically, like to do these stories that have a little bit more like melodrama to mm-hmm. them. Because I think the drop, the comedy becomes funner, funner when, when you have that element. So I thought the season two is like, man, these episodes are a lot better. But the marketing, like, and I chose the song Neutron Dance. It's just like, it's a madcap, wacky show. And they're like, I'm like, well, we're not really, I wish I could like show people the other components of the Mm -hmm. show. So I was like, I animated my own promo and we put it up. And I got the voice actor who plays Bransky, JD, to record it over the phone. I was like, all right, what if the character is just poorly animated and he's talking about what's different in season two? So I thought that was uh, fun to do and kind of a cool way to sh- tell people, like, all right. Mm-hmm. And at the end, he says, like, I think, like, fucking Rick and Morty, you know. It's just, like, you know, a self-aware jab. Yeah. At, you know. uh, so when you when you uh, started season two and you knew you were getting season two, how did you change things up from season one? Um, we just had a better – we had a such a good group, collection of writers that understood the vision. We took a more um, – because in season one, we did this thing where secretly underneath these episodic episodes, there was a serialized show that was revealed at the in the 10th the episode. Mm-hmm. So we wanted to do that again, but we knew that we couldn't really do it a secret again. We couldn't do that surprise. So always we want to keep the show episodic. I don't want to do like a, for this show particular, like, but we just, like in the first episode, we realized, okay, we meet this character, Jet Jr., uh, he's a new boss and he's suspicious and we're going to learn more about that later. So we were seeding the story culminating and, and we planned out, uh, we knew um, from the get-go, I'll spoil this for you, but I won't spoil this for anybody else, but 
or if you haven't seen the episode, but we knew that we were going to do a big thematic arc about our care about uh, it was really more about Jet Jr. than Bransky, but learning what the meaning of, of, of why they're doing what they're doing. So thematically, we're just going to do this over the top. Like we want to have our cake and eat it too. This over the top corny theme about friendship. So we have uh, Bransky. We have in the very first episode we have. So we were building everything up for the season two. We knew what we wanted to do, and in episode one we have our character French saying, "What if Hot Streets is about friendship? What do you think about that?" And then you know he gets basically you know. Uh, admonished for that thought and idea and then throughout the throughout the season we kind of keep this, these thematic elements returning culminating to uh, our character Bransky killing his former boss mm. Sue Park so we, I knew that uh, before we created the series that we wanted to build to that specific moment and luckily it worked um, and then in the final episode Bransky kind of discovers why, like he's kind of a company man and mm-hmm. he kind of becomes a little bit more self-aware, but ultimately you'll see in the finale, it really is Jet Jr.'s character arc because mm. um, he, he has, a, it's really his change that occurs uh, in the finale, which hasn't come out yet. Um, we discover that he's not exactly who he seemed and uh, he kind of learns about this theme of friendship. Mm. And uh, it's really corny and over the top, but I, I fucking love it. I, I, love, I love, like, I think it's probably because I love, like, anime and I love One Piece. Like, this corny, like, friendship theme I really mm. like. And the, the world is so dark to just even have, I think in season one I like doing that too, to have this kind of corny, over the top, happy, happy ending. Mm. A lot of people see our show as uh, nihilistic and dark but I think we liked we want to do the, the happy ending right. ultimately is it difficult to figure out like a season finale end um, well we we before we start right. the season we get the court components and we knew mm-hmm. kind of what was going to happen and we 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 saw it we're like alright well in the, the finale we're going to have Jet Jr. is going to have a noose around his neck and he's all the characters are going to try to kill him and then <laughs> we're going to have this epiphany and then and then we kind of figured it out before we started. Otherwise, uh, you just have to pray that you'll get lucky and it all, sometimes it does. Sometimes it works itself. Like for the first season, it kind of worked that way where mm-hmm. you just like, you magically come up with the season finale. But I love tying each season into a, having a bow tied on it yeah. so that it is its own entity. You could just watch season two on its own without season one and that is its own entity. Then you could watch, or you don't watch season one and two you just watch season three and then you get a complete story from beginning to end. You could binge it and get a complete package. Mm-hmm. I really like that idea and shows that do that. There's a show blunt talk that I really like that did that really well. Uh, and a lot of dramatic shows do that too. Like, like the wire or, or thing, the shows that theme at have a season theme and everything wraps up in the finale. And I'm not a huge fan of the kind of mystery box style tor- storytelling where you keep teasing things and not giving any right. answers. Then the finale, you give an even bigger mystery. <laughs> what? There's a map on his head. Holy shit. That changes everything. All right. Well, I really like the uh, like what you said for season one, like the episodic, but there's like secretly the like uh, overarching narrative, overarching arc and stuff. Those are always like really nice. And that's also, I think, a part of where I'm coming from, from in a lot of 
anime shows have have these arcs that go on and you see the story sometimes they're like in the case of one piece sometimes they're like 150 episode arc but um other shows and like even uh, my favorite jojo's bizarre adventure there'll be like a nine episode the first arc is only like nine episodes and you can kind of get into it and get a complete little package story and then move on to the next one. Mm-hmm. I think that's fun. I, I think uh, I've been motivated a lot by anime and the kinds of storytelling that they're, they're doing that in Western animation that you don't see too, so mm-hmm. much. Do you, have, uh, do you have plans for another season? Uh, I, I mean, the ratings are pretty good, so mm-hmm. I'm hoping that we get that new season. But don't mm-hmm. know yet. Hopefully. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, what, what's something that surprised you about uh, creating a show? Uh, it was surprising me was that part where I was saying that the writing. Oh, I, right, I thought yeah. I wrote it and now I hire people and then they make the show and I don't have to do any work. But it, for what was surprised me is it's like it's like climbing a hill where every step becomes more and more stressful. So writing is stressful. <laughs> and then you get with talented people that are doing their job. Excuse me. And that, and just like trying to make sure in your head, like it becomes like a puzzle. It's like, how the fuck are these pieces going to fit? And then you get the animatics. And then when you get the animation back from the studio, that's when I become the most stressed out. All right. Now I see it in color and it's not working. How do we do? How do we fix this now? It just becomes more and more stressful until the end. That's what I learned. It's like the writing I thought was going to be the hardest part, and then it's easy. Yeah. Uh, I, I found that, you know, luckily though, especially for, for season two, I had such a great. When I was saying that you have you want to have these a collaborative team, I had such a so many talented people. And you never want to es- underestimate anybody and what they do because a lot of people, you know, who are character designers are also writers at home or they might they have their own ideas like what if we do this and that's 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 what keeps it together. It keeps keeps me going is like you know the community of, of creative people that mm-hmm. you work with and you just keep going up and just then you're done and then you stress out and hopefully you know you pray for that other season and you stress out and then you get that and then you it's like what happens is like i think is like you you get really sick by the end of the season and then you wait a couple of months and hopefully it gets picked up and then you start all over again but it is i'm not i'm like trying to say i'm like some fucking like uh, jesus figure because it's like <laughs> my dream come true right. i'm having a lot of fun i mean this is fucking awesome i love it I love every step of it, but it is you know, it definitely ramps up. Right, right. It ramps up. What would you like to be doing next? Um, well, I'd like to keep... I've got some ideas for the show that I would really like to keep doing the show. Um, but I also... I've got other ideas. I'm trying to start up my own... Because what I... and I'd really like to do more... Uh, I've got an idea a method of, of doing hand-drawn animation in a more efficient way because a mm. lot of animation is well, you know, what they call like puppet animation where you kind of take the pieces and move them around. Uh, in Japan, everything is like, you know, hand-drawn and, and, and everything, I mean, they work themselves to fucking death. Yeah. I mean, they literally work all night and die while animating. I forget oh, wow. the name of it. 
but and they don't get paid well. So in, in, in the United States, you can't really do the type of entertainment they're doing on a reasonable budget. So a lot of people will be like, Hot Streets looks like shit. Like, Jesus, we're doing the best that we can. But I have an idea of how to do a hand-drawn show, uh, a method of doing it. So I'm trying to start, ultimately what I'd like to do is to start my own company and to do this. And I've got ideas for shows that I'm really excited about uh, that are, uh, I like I like focusing on what I, I think what, what was really cool in season two of the Hot Streets was getting the melodrama, which is exciting for, for me creatively. So going to other projects, I want to keep doing that. And like also, I love like, creating that thematic element to it because a lot of Western an animation or actually a lot of Western entertainment to me feels empty. Mm. Just, I'm watching these things and it's just like, like, I don't watch Family Guys. I don't know if it's good or bad, but like, it's like, you watch Family Guys, like, that's it. Like, what is this? You don't want to rewatch this. It's like mm. maybe funny at the time that you watch it. Right, and there's no reason to revisit it or get really invested in what you're watching. So I want to want to try to double down on that and create content that is uh, melodramatic and has thematic elements and is exciting and maybe possibly a little more serialized. But I still want to keep mm -hmm. things a bit episodic. Yeah, that's great. Uh, okay, so we're gonna wrap up uh, with you giving your thoughts on a sketch idea. Uh, sure. Uh, so do you know Dirty Jobs, the Mike Rowe show? No, I do not. It's the show um, where he does, like, uh, I guess, like, um, different weird or often dirty jobs. Like, he'll go to, like, um, uh, like he'll go to, like, a, a farm, I guess, and, like, milk a cow. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or something like that. So he has to do things that make himself, he makes himself uncomfortable by doing things like, in the comedy. Yeah. Is it kind of like, um, not exactly like, but what, what was that? Uh, that British guy on the Ricky Gervais, like having to do things that made himself uncomfortable. Oh, Carl Pilk. Oh, Carl Pilk. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, it's it's similar to that. I guess it was like a Discovery Channel show, so theoretically there's more learning involved, I guess. I don't Got know. it. Yeah. Uh, actually, I, I can't remember the last time I saw that show. Anyway, but anyway. Yeah, yeah. So this would be a parody of that show, but he doesn't like do jobs anymore. He just does disgusting stuff. Okay. So it's like he, he would go to the farm, but instead of, and it looks like he's going to do a job, but then he just like rubs uh, shit all over himself. Okay. And so that's mm -hmm. kind of the idea. Mm -hmm. <laughs> all right. All right. So, all right. So he goes the reaction to the farm. this is very funny to me, but yeah. No, I'm thinking. I'm yeah, thinking yeah. very deeply. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't, I, when I don't, I, I don't laugh a lot. So, mm -hmm. like, it's not, not laughing. Is no, not no, 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 no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm thinking because, like, it, it needs to, I think, I think, you know, in order for something like that to work, it has to escalate. So yeah, maybe yeah. he is like, all right, I'm going to milk the cow. What if I tried also putting a little bit of shit on my arm? <laughs> oh, so it's kind of he does a kind of like a back back end backs yeah. into it. Yeah, or or oh, so you did you want to start with him just putting shit on? Well, his I arm? I don't know, but I, I kind of like the idea where he like backs into it, where it's like he's like I'm still doing like the thing, but actually I kind of want to do this other thing. I kind of yeah. like that idea. Yeah, um, there has to be some sort of escalation, but also there has to be. What is what is the end game for this character? Like what, right? Uh, does he, you know, wind up taking a, a, like 
he gets a weird bacterial infection where he begins to shit and then somebody else comes in and smears the shit. I don't know. Like there has to be some sort of a, <laughs> Oh, you know, it's like, yeah, there's another guy. Yeah. yeah or there has to be some sort of ending, I guess, or some sort of beat that like, like, all right, we're, we're here with this guy. What is, what is the goal here for for this, for this gag? Are we going to just keep, keep going and going and going until now? Right. Fucking God at the end or. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know. That's a good, that's a good thing to think about though. Cause I think I mean end, sketch endings are always like really difficult. I think right. Um, yeah, I always like sketch the sketch comedy where you know, like uh, kids kids in the hall or even like SCTV where they would do these little stories mm-hmm. with yeah. these crazy new characters that isn't specifically a parody of anything. I mean, you could do that sketch and it doesn't have to be a parody of oh know, yeah like, that, of that mm-hmm. in particular. It's just a guy. You start smearing shit on him, and he gets really <laughs> curious about it, you know, and just work your way there. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right. Any, anything you want to plug? Uh, no. Well, Hot Streets, yeah. you can Hot watch Streets, it on yeah, Adult Swim app. I, I don't know, because, like, when this comes out in two weeks, sometimes they put it for free online to watch. So when this comes out, maybe it's for free on adultswim.com. Check. If not, uh, you know, it's probably they'll probably be wearing, airing reruns. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine. All right. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you. I had a lot of fun. This has been a Boardwalk Audio podcast. For more information and shows, visit BoardwalkAudio.com. Don't forget to rate and subscribe now.